Hi and welcome to the Homeopathy Health Show. I am Atik Hamadbati, a fourth generation homeopath with over 20 years of professional experience in this field of healing. In the Homeopathy Health Show, I'll be talking all things homeopathy and natural with guest interviews, tips and advice and answering some of your questions. Homeopathy is truly a unique complementary system of healing suitable for all ages, young and old. I'd love to hear from you and welcome your questions on homeopathy and how it can or has helped you. Feel free to email me at health at liketreatslike.co.uk or visit www.liketreatslike.co.uk for more information. Once you're there, take a look at the Knowledge Academy and blog section where you will find interesting information. Both sections are growing day by day, so always check back. So let's begin today's show on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio, real feel-good radio. Hello and welcome to the Homeopathy Health Podcast. I do hope you're well and sincerely hope you've had a pleasant week. Now, in today's podcast, I'm delighted, and I really am truly delighted, to be joined by Hilary Dorian. Hilary is an internationally acclaimed homeopath and has been in practice for over 30 years now and is also a senior lecturer at the CHE, which is the Centre for Homeopathic Education. Now, only a few weeks ago, Marcus Fernandez, who is the founder and principal of the CHE, was on the podcast talking all things homeopathy, and I must thank him for connecting Hillary and myself. Hillary was the co-founder of Barefoot Botanicals and is the co-founder of Skin Genius, which we will talk about later on today. I'm very much looking forward to that, actually. Hilary, uh, thank you for coming on today's Homeopathy Health podcast. It's a real delight. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, firstly, congratulations on becoming a nan. How amazing. Congrats, congrats, you know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's very delightful. How does it feel? <laughs> it feels great, actually. You know, I, I knew I would love it. But, you know, when you first see that little baby, you just your heart just melts. He's 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 an absolute delight. And um, um, so far, really enjoying it. Yes. Brilliant. And may that enjoyment continue for many, many, many years. Um, Hilary, the first question that I always ask my guests coming on the podcast is really very much to do with the journey that they've had into homeopathy. And I do know that in the early 80s, you did actually qualify as an acupuncturist. Um, right. And then as history goes, you were, of course, led to homeopathy. So do tell um, this journey. Okay, well, I actually was uh, at university in Dundee studying something completely different, which was social sciences. And I attended a lecture uh, it was about homeopathy, sorry, about acupuncture. And it was about acupuncture analgesia. And it just caught my imagination. I'd always been interested in nature, uh, in healing. And I decided I would like to see if it was possible to study acupuncture anywhere. These, This was 1978, probably. It was the days before we had the internet, so you could easily find colleges. 
I did manage to find a place in Leamington Spa and I wrote and I asked for a place and they wrote back and said they could offer me a place for the following year. So I left university, I went traveling, I came back and I took my place at the college in Leamington Spa and that would have been in 19, late 1978, uh, no, early 1979. And I studied acupuncture there for three years, and I graduated as an acupuncturist in 82. And I started my practice up in Red Hill. And, you know, the uh, Chinese medicine is is uh, wonderful, and the, the philosophy and the the depth and the age of it is quite mind-boggling. But I realized as I was practicing, that it was hard to treat children because the pressure doesn't really work as well. And usually they don't really like needles. You also can't really treat acute problems that easily. So I I got into homeopathy just really as a, initially as a sort of support for my work as an acupuncturist. And I went to college in London but it wasn't long before I fell totally, totally in love with homeopathy. And really, after qualifying as a homeopath, that really has been my uh, my life's work. Uh, I continue to work doing some acupuncture for a little while. But gradually, gradually, uh, homeopathy just took over. The only thing I do nowadays with relation to that is that I often lecture on the correspondences between TCM and homeopathy, because that's quite fascinating. There's a lot that we can learn about a question, for instance, that the in TCM, they have it down to the minutiae, is where does our where does our vital force come from? Where does that chi energy come from? Uh, which any acupuncturist will be able to tell you. I sometimes um, enjoy lecturing on the correspondences and uh, that that's always very popular. But nowadays I am a, a homeopath, first and foremost. You know, I'm going to have to ask you, of course, though, um, for everyone's benefit, that as far as TCM is concerned, what is the, 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 the thinking as far as where does the vital force come from or where does it reside, what it's about? Okay, well, in, in, in TCM, the, um, the vital force or the, the chi energy comes essentially from two main sources. One is the food that you eat. Um, that's called Gucci. And one is from the air that you breathe. And they combine together in the chest to form chi. There's one addition from the kidneys where the what you might call ancestral chi uh, in homeopathy it's kind of probably a little bit more akin to the miasmatic influence uh, and so the ancestral chi or essence comes in and mingles and then that forms um, true chi and so in in uh, oriental medicine a lot more focus is put on the diet and on breathing, you know, whether it's Tai Chi, whether, you know, breathing exercises, uh, those two things are seen as very important because they are where we get our replenishable chi from. And the non-replenishable chi comes from our parents. It's very similar, isn't it, of course, to homeopathy and possibly many other uh, healing modalities out there, um, which is always nice because it also shows you a journey. Um medicine has been around or healing should i say has been around centuries you know longer yes. than, than the, it's been there right from the start it has to be because i was joking with uh, elaine watson um who was on the podcast and 
we were talking about this and and I said to her, I said, healing has been around, of course, right from the start. Otherwise, if it wasn't, then you know, died could out, only be we? several people would have been alive, <laughs> yes. wouldn't they? Yes, you know. absolutely. So how does that work? They Surely their immune systems could not have been stronger than ours, you know. Although yeah. that does actually raise another question. But anyway, we won't go into that. Yes. <laughs> Maybe their system was actually because it was much purer in those times, wasn't it, than it is there, today? There's so many different factors, aren't yeah. there? But we have far more chronic disease uh, in modern days. You know, but years ago, I guess, if you if your immune system was strong enough to bat off a terrible acute illness uh, like scarlet fever, then usually you were probably going to make reasonably old bones. But nowadays, we have a lot of chronic ill health that maybe people hundreds of years ago didn't suffer from in the same way, autoimmune diseases. So I think the, the, the picture of people's health has changed. And I think that alternative medicine has probably never been more popular because modern medicine tends to just offer treatment rather than cure. Um, uh, you become a customer uh, rather mm. than somebody who comes and gets better. Uh, and I think with uh, alternative medicine, we can offer a little bit more than that. Um, and that's what I like about it in particular. You know what's really fascinated me always right from the start, as as you know, homeopathy's been in in the family for for a while, um, in my family, and um, it's just amazing that in this present age, where and we all, uh, including myself, we all have emotional ups and downs more than possibly we can remember. You know, coming up, growing up in the seventies, eighties, there were different types of pressure, but now the emotional and and uh, you know the mental health conditions are very much prevalent. And homeopathy is absolute gold, isn't it? The way that it works, the way that it truly definitively provides healing and lasting healing is just amazing. It is. It really is. And, you know, that's what's so special about homeopathy. You know, we, we see people who've had, whether it's migraine, whether it's arthritis, whether it's eczema, They've been seeing doctors for years and years, and the treatment is the same. It's medication to try and control the condition. And the medication itself might then have problems. You know, people who use steroids for years, their skin becomes very thin and brittle. And, you know, th there's problems as well as uh, as help given in those situations. Uh, but they're never going to actually get rid of it. And, you know, it... it it seems a little bit depressing to say to somebody, oh, you're landed with it, that's it now. You know, the best we mm. can do is put you on steroids for the rest of your life or or put you on this medication or that medication from the rest of your life. Um, and, you know, some people, I, I always think that people who come for um, uh, alternative medicines and who come to me for homeopathy are more involved in their own health and their own journey because if they're told you need to go on statins there are people who will question that and say is there another option people who don't mind changing their lifestyle somewhat whereas a lot of people are like oh no I don't really want if I have to change my lifestyle I'd rather just take a pill if I have to eat healthier or do more exercise I'd rather just take a pill and so people who come for homeopathy are looking for more in their life than just having chronic ill health that they're taking pills for every day they're looking for a deeper solution well fortunately we have homeopathy uh, you know the second largest system in the world Surely it has to be a positive for one's own vital force to know that for something acute, which is non-life-threatening or serious, 
you can just, you know, go to a homeopathic first aid remedy kit that you have at home, and you can pick out whatever it is, gelsemium, aconite, natmi, or whatever that you need at that time, and it's done. And yes. get on with your life, you know. Yes, it's wonderful. I don't, I honestly don't know how people get through their lives without homeopathy. <laughs> I've had four children, brought up four children, and I don't know, you know, neither of my daughters have ever had antibiotics. Um, and, you know, my daughter, the elder daughter, who's also a homeopath, um, she just having had a baby, you know, things like remedies for after the birth, remedies for the baby, if it has colic, just knowing that you have a safe, effective system that you can nip infections in the bud, you can treat the colic, you can help to soothe them. Um, it's wonderful. And I... I feel really sorry for people who don't know about homeopathy, don't know what they could have in their life, don't know what a safe and easy help they could have in a small first aid kit that they could learn to use effectively. Obviously, for more complicated things, they would need to see a professional, but it would be the equivalent of taking a Rennie's or an aspirin, instead of which they could go and take something homeopathic that does far, far more on, on, a, on a deeper level and I just don't know how people get through their lives uh, without homeopathy because it has literally and figuratively saved my life so many times in so many situations um, that I'm really grateful for it. And sometimes I'll say to people, we might have a conversation and they might tell me they've got a problem and I'll say, oh, I could give you a remedy for that. And they might go, oh, no, no, you're okay. You're, you're fine. And I, th I think, okay, I, I understand that. But I also think if you knew what that remedy was going to do for you, you would be biting my hand off. You would literally be biting my hand off. But you have to just say, OK, well, you're, you're shout. I'm here if you want. You, you know, if, if you change your mind, you can. I'll give you that remedy. But you can't. You know, people have to come to it themselves. It's their it's their process. It's their journey. And um yeah, but I, I I love that it's grown so much and that it is the second biggest system of uh, medicine in the world because it totally deserves to be. Mm, absolutely. I, I echo your comments completely. Um, Hilary, uh, as far as homeopathy is concerned, I know that you've spent some time in India um, mm -hmm. as well. So do share with us what you were involved with there as far as homeopathy is concerned. I went to study homeopathy in India in 1986, I think, 85 or 86. I went to do the, the first course, actually, that was run by Subrata Banerjee in Calcutta. And uh, some of us uh, went from the UK. And uh, it was really fascinating. We I learned ever such a lot Um the, the treatment there, you know, so many people use homeopathy as a first line medication and they actually were using it in hospitals. We could see really complicated things being treated with homeopathy. And yeah, it was a fascinating experience. I really um, I learned a lot and I really enjoyed it. And I loved being in India. <clears throat> and I was there for two to three months and actually went back um two years later uh, with a friend who was doing the course. So I didn't do the course again, but I went and sat in on various clinics and, and did some other work out there. So I loved it. I, I, I had the best time and I learned a lot from some fantastic homeopaths out there. 
It's um, <clears throat> it's really nice, isn't it, to go to a country, and there are many, of course, uh, India being one of the first and foremost um, alongside some others. But it's nice to be in an environment where you know that pretty much, you know, 80% of the population know what homeopathy is. So it's not something unusual for them. And it's just yes. run of the mill normality, isn't it? And yes, it's nice to be absolutely. surrounded by that. That feeling must is yeah, quite people who know um, it, who've tried it, who understand it, who respect yeah. it. Yeah, and there's never raised eyebrows. It's like, oh, no. do you know? Do you know that there's a shop that sells, I don't know, Arnica or Hepasulf? And it's oh yeah, there's this, this, and this, and yes. and you go in yes. and there's various products. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. It is. It's great. And and it, people are so open and so accepting. You know, whereas you know. Whilst there's a, 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 a quite a, a proportion of the population who are really into it, quite often you, you're looked upon as some mad hippie tree hugger if you say that you're a homeopath <laughs> and no respect is afforded to you at all. Uh, and uh, this is the same thing. You know, you get you get that from your patients, you get it from your students, you get it from the people that you help, but you never get it from society at large. I think, uh, Hilary, um it's people like yourself and so many others um of course that i've had the honor to to invite on the show and to talk to that are making the difference nowadays in promoting homeopathy uh and making it um let's say um very tangible and very real and very accommodating and and very uh, professional more so than it's ever been of course we know that uh, up to the 1950s, you know, a large majority of MDs, and this is a fact, of course, isn't it, that had moved to homeopathy or were certainly using, you know, elements of homeopathy in their practice. And and then, of course, things changed, like like everything in life. But um, it's it's nice to be able to have people who can give homeopathy that voice. And uh, of course, with humility, I say that this podcast certainly is is one of those um, yeah. objectives as well to promote and give the real tangible voice, the professional voice of, of homeopathy and, and what it's about. And I think it's very easy sometimes to just um, Google something and the first, the, we've all done it, haven't we? The, the first uh, page or hit that comes up or description and you think that's, that's what it is. So with homeopathy, um, it, I think it's very different to just reading what homeopathy is. It's about experiencing it. And I think that's what changes. And that's what gives this lasting impression and changes people because they say, yes. oh, I read this, I read it was this and this. And, and now all of a sudden, hang on, my migraine's gone. I've had it for 20 years, yes, you know. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, when people come, mostly they come, I don't advertise, I don't even have a, a website. My clients come to me from word of mouth. And so they come because somebody has given a good account of their experience. But sometimes they're still a little um, skeptical or slightly concerned by it all. So it's important to be professional, to have a professional setup, a professional clinic, to have a good working knowledge of the of healthcare generally, to be able to put people uh, at ease that they're in good hands, that you understand uh, their condition and that you're going to be able to help them. Um, and so the whole the whole process is part of of what homeopathy is and can do, um, giving people the confidence that that homeopathy is 
a, a successful system of medicine and it is going to be able to help them and they will start to see differences uh, pretty quickly. You know, healing takes time. I often say to people when they say, oh, I've got eczema, can you get rid of it? I have a wedding to go to next month. <clears throat> and I'll say, you know, I'm a homeopath, I'm not Harry Potter. And that <laughs> It's time to work. And this is a chronic illness, but we can definitely clear it and get rid of it. But it does take time. It's not going to be gone within a month. And I can't promise you that you have to give people clear, you you know, you have to give them a, 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 the right expectation. So they know what they're getting into, what they're going to, what the process is going to be, what they can expect. Uh, and people by and large are so delighted that they're the ones who spread the word you know and tell other people you really should try it you really should go and see somebody um mm. and that's how it works and i think that um homeopathy in the uk has become um more and more professional more and more visible um and i think you know it's it's doing really well and i'm delighted to see it um moving on uh <clears throat> now, I know that you have done an, a lot of work, and you continue to do so, of course, uh, with the CHE, which is the Centre for yes. Homeopathic Education. Uh, how did you actually get involved there? Uh, well, I knew um, Marcus and uh, Gordon, who ran it uh, with Marcus initially. Uh, we were at college together uh, in the in the sort of early to mid eighties, uh, and. Uh, I met Marcus when he went to a, a, another college in in North London. We and we we knew each other, um, and yes, it, it came out of there. It came out of knowing the two people who were principals, and I was asked to teach at CHE, and that must have been twenty five years ago or something, a long time ago. And uh, so I'm, I'm one of the regular teachers there at CHE. It's a great college. Uh, really professional, really good quality teaching, uh, support, and a great introduction to the profession. So I teach at quite a few colleges uh, in the UK, but I teach more regularly at CHE than I do anywhere else. Now, alongside teaching, though, you also, um, am I right in saying that you do practice in New York? Uh, I, I did do. I don't anymore. I haven't since uh, COVID, really. But right. I taught in New York for many, many years. <clears throat> and as a result of my having a practice, uh, having a going over to New York to teach maybe four times a year, um, I took on a number of patients uh, from New York and uh, I taught from the college. I, I practiced from the college for a number of years. Um, but with COVID and travel becoming impossible, uh, all my clients went online. And uh, so I haven't actually been back to, to New York since. And I think probably now um, I will just continue to. I mean, I have clients from all over the world online, but I, I used to very much enjoy going to New York and teaching and seeing clients. Um, but it was of its time. And now I, I see the people, but I see them online. It's a big benefit, um, actually, with um, being online, because like you said, it just makes it so much easier, not only time wise, um, but also there's a cost saving for, for the patient and the practitioner. Yes. Um, and also, yes. um, it's just so much more convenient as well. 
But um, I was going to actually ask you, what was it like in New York and, and homeopathy? And is it uh, is it well known? Is it uh, yeah, uh, what are the students like? And, you know, what's their backgrounds? Well, you know, I uh, I love New York and I found all the people that I met in New York uh, really nice people. I find American people generally are very open. Uh, you know, they, they are very straightforward, very open, so they're very easy to treat. I think mm. Americans generally ha- have looked at their own process. They're used to kind of counselling or, or, or talking therapies and homeopathy. Uh, for part of it at least is a talking therapy we need to fully understand somebody um so i found american patients very easy to get on with they're very open uh, very self-aware um so i really enjoyed it uh, lovely people i think homeopathy is becoming more and more well known in america for most states uh it, there there is a fairly uh, thriving homeopathic community and again, I think that it's going to grow because it's safe, because it's effective, and because people are sometimes tired of not getting to the bottom of what's going on for them and just skimming the surface. But ultimately, I think the reason homeopathy is growing is because people are looking for a little bit more and seeing that it, it perhaps is achievable and coming to see homeopaths and i think that's that's happening all over the world including the states i i find personally now that it's very much uh you know the complementary which you know an integrative route um people you know like the best of both and they feel comfortable with that and that's also a very very positive um because you're you're working you could technically say synergistically you know sometimes if someone god forbid has got something that requires let's say eczema and they've had a flare-up skin condition and sometimes you need you need steroids to keep it under control to prevent an infection it's it's not sensible to say you know Absolutely. any other system will be fine and stop what you're using it's like another example it's asthma if you have asthma and you have a, a an asthma inhale an inhaler that, that's life-saving you know it would be dangerous for any mm. homeopath to stop a patient's medication uh, in that way, without clear um, support, mm. you know, with with somebody with asthma, we get them to uh, go back to their GP with peak flow charts to show whether their peak flows are how they're doing, whether their peak flow is improving uh, enormously, so that the the GP can say we'll take two puffs in the morning, just one puff in the evening, as you're not so bad then, and see, mm. let's have a look at it again in another four months, and you know, it it has to be overseen, but mostly GPs are quite happy to do that uh, by and large. And with people with um, steroids, it isn't good for them to just suddenly stop their steroids because they will get a rebound, which will be so unpleasant and so uncomfortable for them um, that they're going to just completely stop having a homeopathy and, and, and that's it, we'll have lost them. So Absolutely. we have to just very slowly withdraw as, as is appropriate. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I think that's sometimes a misunderstanding that if you go to see a homeopath, you can't take any other medications. Simply not true. Our remedies work on a completely different uh, non-chemical level 
And so there's no contraindication with homeopathy uh, and orthodox medication. And so they can be run together for a good length of time before uh, the GP might say, look, let's let's start cutting that medication down because you're doing really well. That's brilliant, isn't it, though? It's very reassuring for the patient as well um, mm. and reassuring for the practitioner as well. Um, yes. You know, yes. it's it's a journey, isn't it? Like you said, homeopathy is a journey and it's very much uh, um, it's also a mental and emotional journey as well, because healing healing involves peace of mind, doesn't it? At the end, you know, the light at the end of yes. the tunnel. Uh, and and yes. you quite rightly said, of course, a lot is to do with therapy to talk. Yes. I've found that just by having a, a happy conversation with the patient, laughing, joking, you know, and also not taking things too seriously for the sake of the patient, it helps 50% of the of the condition itself, you know, and the patient feels comfortable and, and relaxed. And, and that's just nice, isn't it? It's it's enjoyable as well as, as, as nice. And I think that is important because people feel heard. And in a busy world like we have today, when people have problems, they don't always have people don't always have time to listen to them. And, you know, there's a lot of people talk about, you know, it's placebo effect. They <clears throat> say, so, well, what is placebo effect? One, I know it's not placebo effect because homeopathy works on babies. It works on animals. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it isn't a placebo effect, but it would be disingenuous to think that there is never any placebo effect or that that placebo effect doesn't actually add a little bit to what we do because we listen, because we understand, because we lighten the load for people. Uh, and uh, you know, as well as giving them the 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 similimum in the form of a a homeopathic remedy, um, but it definitely is not all placebo. You know, I think placebo is um, is a bit. Of, you know, it sounds a bit being given us a bit of a dirty word, but actually, placebo just is something that encourages a little bit of of self healing in a way. So I, I, I'm all for it. Uh, if a, if a, if a placebo works as well as a, a as a drug in a trial. Uh, you've got to say, well, that's pretty powerful medicine in itself. But homeopathy works way beyond placebo effect, uh, reproducible. Sometimes people say there's no science behind homeopathy, and there is. There are hundreds and hundreds of peer-reviewed scientific studies that show that homeopathy works way beyond placebo. Um, but certainly the, the conversation is uh, definitely part of the process. Uh, jokingly, I was on uh, a radio interview last week, and they asked me to come on to talk about homeopathy. And they asked me this question about placebo. And, and this is jokingly, I answered, I said, look, if it is placebo, and it's the second largest system in the world, and hundreds of millions of people are being cured because of a placebo effect and by spending a nominal amount of money, but what's wrong with that? <laughs> yes yes you know. i mean there is something i is... say that jokingly of course but what's yes wrong with i know that, but it's a question to be had it's a question <clears throat> to be had about the essential nature of of what triggers healing you know <clears throat> uh, it's interesting isn't it it is it's always it's always the same questions as well i've noticed it's always the same questions how yes. does it work you know are there any side effects it's always that the same five or four or five questions actually mm -hmm. are, remain why isn't there enough yes. research you know uh, yes. But hey, here we go. We live and learn. Um, now, moving on, I was going to ask you, because you've got over 30 years of experience now, and again, like we mentioned, you, you did practice in New York, and now it's very much online. 
but you practice here in the UK as well. What uh, conditions do you encounter more frequently? Uh, if guess... if you could sort of for, you know give an idea of of, of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a mixed practice, so there's very few things that I don't or haven't seen uh, over the years. Um, and so, but I would say that I see a lot of skin problems. I treat a lot of eczema, a lot of psoriasis. Um, I treat art, a lot of arthritis too, and I treat quite a lot of endocrine um, dysfunction. Those are probably the things that I see most of, mm. but I see a, a good wide selection as your average gp would see from from people who have migraines people who have hormonal disruptions uh, uh you know a, a really a, a pretty good selection of things but i do see a lot of skin complaints that's something that has always been quite dear to my heart and increasingly now i see a lot of patients with mental emotional problems from depression anxiety ocd um but it, it's what keeps it interesting. You never know what's going to come through the door. And what's mm. nice is that whatever comes through the door, you know you're going to be able to help. Well, what's your insight into the, the why eczema has, or any skin condition, eczema, psoriasis and, and others, uh, has, and also mental health conditions have become so, so prominent nowadays? Is it only because people are more are able to talk about it more and feel more comfortable with, with with that subject matter, like, for example, mental health? Or is it to do with excess toxicity when it comes to skin conditions or the environment we live with? Uh, sorry, the environment we live in? I think not enough research is done into why people's health generally in terms of chronic diseases uh, is declining. And so it's a very hard question to answer. My own belief is that it is down to modern living and modern living means uh, excess toxicity, you know, pesticides, um, fertilizers, um, petrochemicals, electromagnetic frequencies, poor diet. Uh, there are so many possible factors that it's very hard to point the finger at just one of them. You know, there, there, there are many, but I think it's part of modern life. And definitely, I think that um, toxicity uh, must play uh, a part in it. Uh, but I, did, I think that's an area that more research really needs to be looked at as to, to, to what things are um, actively involved in increasing the number of children. It's something like one in four children now has eczema. Mm. Um, when I was when I was young, long time ago now, um, but I remember we had a girl in my class with asthma. Um, my sister was two years above me. My friend was a year below me. They didn't have a girl in their class with asthma. I had one girl in my class. In fact, I think she was likely the only girl back then in the school. Now, when my children went to school, and it's probably much worse since then, if they had an inhaler, which they didn't, but friends whose kids had inhalers, they, they were labelled and put in the drawer with the other inhalers. You know, there were so many children who needed inhalers. So something from my childhood to my children's childhood and from my children's childhood to my grandson's, it's not going the right way. You know, people may be arguably living slightly longer, but they're sicker. 
you know, longevity isn't the only benchmark. Um, enjoyment of life, you know, the 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 Alzheimer's has gone through the roof, diabetes has gone through the roof, uh, eczema, all manner of autoimmune diseases, Parkinson's disease. These are things that have been on the increase way beyond what could be uh, explained by an older population. And it needs to be looked at as a matter of urgency, in my opinion. Um, and we do our best with homeopathy to help people who are suffering from the ill effects of modern life and toxicity and chronic disease. And we do a pretty marvellous job in a, in a pretty unequal arena out there at the moment. I do agree with you. It's it's definitely the toxicity um, because of just just because it is what it is, isn't it? You know. Uh, chemicals, pesticides, insecticides, airborne pollutants, and modern living. Uh, side effect of modern modern times and, and modern living, isn't it? I mean, just having this podcast, like I've said to, to other guests as well, how much electronics are we surrounded by? How many frequencies? The screen, the mic, the, the, the webcam, the mobile phone on my left, and same for yourself, of course. And uh, of course, it, it, it doesn't help uh, because fr from a cellular point of view, um, the cells are bombarded with different frequencies and uh, they can't remain stable, can they? There's always going to be some sort of uh, offshoot, isn't it, of, of, of symptoms? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, we and we can't turn the clock back. We have to live in the modern world. But I always say to patients that, you know, there are some of the landmines that you can avoid stepping on, you know, eating more healthy foods, trying to use mm. more natural products, uh, turning off your technology when you can and going for a walk in nature. There are things that we can and should do to try and offset, uh, you know, the, the, the need to live in the modern world, the need to use technology, the, um, the, the need to have fun. I do think that we need to offset um, the effects of modern life as much as we can with diet, with exercise, with enjoyment of nature, with natural therapies, and just try and avoid treading on some of the landmines just to, uh, to do what we can do. Which aptly takes me to something, of course, that you're very passionate about, which is natural products. And of course, you've spoken about your uh, or should I say from my, my, myself, you are an expert in skincare, having helped so many people with uh, skin ailments and conditions. But it leads me on to your skincare products and specifically uh, you founding something called Skin Genius. Yeah. So do share about Skin Genius, how that came about and well, what's involved and, and perhaps uh, give us an idea of the products uh, and, and what okay. they do. Yeah. Well, I started years ago treating eczema and psoriasis and saying it would be helpful if you could find a natural cream that doesn't have petrochemicals in mm. um, and doesn't have artificial uh, preservatives in um, because these things are not good for you and they're not good for your skin. And if you if you can find something natural and people would come back and they'd say they couldn't, what could they use? This was years ago when we started Barefoot Botanicals, maybe nearly 30 years ago now. Um, and so we decided to plug that hole in the market and make a natural skincare cream. And, that, and so we did. We sold the Barefoot Botanicals company many years ago. Um, and then um, one of my friends asked me, 
would you like to have a, she said, I would really, really like, because I know so many uh, friends whose kids are struggling with acne. I would like to make some acne products. Would you help me? Would you like to be involved? And out of that grew Skin Genius. Uh, so Skin Genius is the company that um, I uh, am involved with now. We have products for acne and products for um, uh, eczema and psoriasis. We have products for acne that are um, moisturizers, um, facial wash and treatment gel. And we have uh, eczema cream um, and oil uh, for helping to moisturize the skin, uh, which are full of natural nourishing ingredients, no nasty tox toxins. Um, I watched a program um, years ago by Sarah, Sarah Beanie, who was looking at um, some young women who used products that weren't natural on their skin. And in particular, they were looking at one a preservative and looking at the blood levels of them. They're only allowed in small amounts in products, but this particular young lady was having a shower in the morning, uh, as you do, washing her hair, conditioning her hair, putting a treatment in her hair, putting on a moisturizer, using a deodorant. I think she'd used 15, 15 products by the time she left, each one of them full of toxic ingredients. So we just wanted to try and make products that people could be confident in using that weren't going to build up in their bloodstream, that weren't going to cause them problems, and that were actually going to benefit their skin and would complement any treatment that they had homeopathically. And that's really what it came came out of. And so there must be a, a lot of research um, involved in uh, putting the products together as as, as such. Yeah, I, it's, you know, it's, I've always been interested in plants, you know, I, I'm also a, a herbalist, and I really like you know, finding out what plants are synergistic, what's what are going to help, what's not going to interfere with other other medications, what's going to be safe, natural, effective, and then combining them uh, in interesting ways. Um, and and uh, you know that love of of nature's healing abilities, uh, I guess, is what is what drives it. And and how is Skin Genius getting along? It's How many going years fine, has it actually? been? Oh, about seven years now, I'd say we've been wow. we've been going. Um, it's always a slow process bringing products to to market, but we have some really good traction now. We had a really nice article in uh, one of the national newspapers just last week, um, and yes, it's 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 doing it's doing nicely. That's really rewarding to know, and I'm quite sure uh, with your background, with your passion uh, and compassion. Uh, I think it's going to be hugely successful going forward. It's going to continue accelerate as far as growth. Uh, and ultimately, more important than all of that, the, to help, you know, yes. to help those who are, who are suffering and, and who have such conditions. It's just nice to know. And and this actually takes me back to the, to the start of the conversation and the objective of this podcast that anyone interested in natural products. Now, they've, they've heard you, Hillary, they've heard you talk about skin genius for example they've heard you talk about your helping patients uh with skin conditions so it gives that real tangible feel and then um it creates a trust because then you actually know um directly oh 
I've, I, I heard Hillary on the podcast, or I heard such and such on a podcast, and oh, they were talking about these products. And you know, let me try and find out a bit more because my son or my daughter or you know whoever is suffering from this condition or that condition, mm-hmm. and that's a plus point, isn't it? It's, it's nice. Oh yeah, absolutely, certainly. <clears throat> now, time for a bit of fun. Uh, it may be fun, it may not be. Let's see. But um, I have some questions for you. Now, I've already asked you how it is to be a nan. So thank you very much for for answering that. But uh, do you have, Hilary, any favorite book or books? And if it's if it's several, then it's you're allowed three. OK, um, I would say I do have some favorite books. Uh, my day to day workbooks are The Late uh, Departed and very much Miss Robin Murphy's Materia Medica and Repertory. They're, they're the basic tools of my trade. Mm. Um, books that I enjoy outside of the daily books of my trade. Um, I love Lou Klein's books. Uh, Lou, Lou Klein is a, um, a, a great American homeopath, and he has a great book called Clinical Focus. And another Australian author that I really like is Philip Bailey. Um, and uh, he has a, a wonderful book on the psychological profiles uh, of homeopathic remedies. So those are probably two of my favorites. Right. Uh, I, I know that uh, uh, Louis Klein has a new book, which uh, you probably see over here. Yes, the, the one for um, for, for um, neurodegenerative Alzheimer's and uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's a very nice and emerging book, isn't it? He's great. Um, I, you know, the first book of his that I read, the, the the clinical focus, taught me a lot about a couple of remedies that I hadn't ever used before, and I found that everything he says about them. I see in practice they are you know you mm. can depend on the information and that's what's really important when you're when you're reading books that they come from somebody's experience like Philip Bailey uh, they come from his busy practice and they're they're information that you can hang your hat on you can rely on it you can use it for for your patients and I think that you know for myself as a teacher it's something that's really important that the information is authentic and usable uh, and uh, and clear and those books certainly um fit all of that and the next question favorite remedy or remedies i know this is a really tough one because you know it doesn't actually work okay. that way does it but surely you must have it doesn't really but yeah i guess there's always remedies that you think <laughs> only ever have one remedy if I could only ever have one remedy um kind of for maybe for acute I'd probably choose rust talks um because it's great for injuries sprains and strains but it's also good for um viruses so it's good for herpes and shingles it's also Mm. good for bacteria streptococcal bacteria it's good for um cholera it's got so many facets it's good for sore throats there's so many things that you can press service from um, rust tox. I'd have to say that rust tox is one of my favorite remedies. And just on a day-to-day remedy for helping so many people, women in particular, I would probably have to choose sepia. You know, mm. the, the remedy for women who are de- depressed, overextended, uh, a lot of joy has gone out of life. They're torn in different directions from work, from children, from family, uh, and just feel 
you know, worn down. And it's such a fantastic remedy to bring back a little bit of joie de vivre, clear some depression, bring up the energy uh, and balance the hormones. So I would probably say that, uh, you know, as a kind of constitutional or, or deep remedy, I would choose sepia. And as an acute remedy, I'd probably choose rustox. But it's a hard call because there are so many <laughs> remedies out there that... <laughs> It's uh, they're both wonderful choices, and I agree with you as far as sepia is concerned. It's so timely, isn't it? I, I always refer a lot to sepia and um, Ignatia as well. Um, I was going to say, if, if I if I could have two uh, deeper remedies, uh, Ignatia would be another one because mm. it is such a support for people who are going through loss or bereavement or loss. It could it, it doesn't have to be bereavement. They could have lost a job in a traumatic fashion. They could have had an argument with a friend and and be very upset about it. Um, it can be bereavement. It can be shock, and it's such a wonderful supporting remedy for for people emotionally that it would definitely be up there. Remedies that I prescribe really frequently those two are going to be uh, frequently out of the drawer here yeah brilliant um hillary what's uh, next on the horizon anything that you're working on that you'd like to share um next on the horizon is actually retirement believe it or not (laughs) (laughs) no you can't do that yet (laughs) i'm going to continue uh, i'm going to continue with my teaching i i love teaching i love passing on the knowledge that I have uh, built up um, over nearly 40 years of practice now um, Mm. and passing that on to new homeopaths. My daughter, as I mentioned, the one who's just had a baby, uh, she qualified as a homeopath three years ago and she's going to be brilliant. So I would like to be inspiring and educating and helping uh, and mentoring the next generation of homeopaths. That's what that's what I would like my next years to be full of. Um, I haven't taken on any new clients for a couple of years now um, because I'm trying to slowly work my way into retirement. Um, but I don't see myself ever completely retiring and certainly um, mentoring and educating, I think, will be a big part of 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 where I go over the next decade. Well, that's reassuring that you're still going to be involved. Um, Are you going to leave us with a book, though? I might do. Yes, I might do. I mean, a lot of my teaching is done on um, uh, webinars um, and lectures online. Um, But yes, I think there's a book in there. So that's, uh, yeah, especially once once I've got a bit more time and I'm, I'm, I'm doing less clinical work, I'll have a bit of time to focus on that. Uh, Hilary Dorian, it's um, it's really honestly been a, a huge pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for taking time out and coming on to the Homeopathy Health podcast, sharing your journey to homeopathy, your insights. Of course, we, I certainly have picked up, you know, your passion, your expertise, your skill, uh, and your pure love to, and devotion to homeopathy. And that's very, very admirable. And it's uh, insightful. It's delightful. It's motivating. So thank you so much. I would love to. All right. Take care. Thank you. I do hope you've enjoyed the Homeopathy Health Show here on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio. Tune in next time for more things homeopathy, interviews and segments on the healing possibilities that homeopathy can bring you. And don't forget to visit UK Health Radio online at www ukhealthradio.com to see the many other amazing shows available to listen live and on demand 
or why not download the app from the iOS and Android stores. Until next time, stay safe and take care.